You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Turning your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. One of the questions I get perhaps the most as a pastor, or at least often, it's, it's almost like a series of questions, is something like this. Why do good people suffer? Why do people who are living for Jesus have to go through hard times? Doesn't God care? Have you got that question? Have you asked that question? Are you asking that question? Over the last nine weeks, we've been studying Hebrews chapter 11, and we've been seeing the heroes of faith. And man, they have been winning victory after victory after victory. I think of Noah being saved on the ark. Abraham got his son back on Moriah. Moses taking the nation through the Red Sea on dry ground. Joshua, last week we saw, delivered the people through Jericho. And a lady believed, had faith, and saved her family. All victories, fantastic victories. But what happens when we don't win? What happens then? What happens when it's hard? What happens when it's difficult? What happens when we suffer? What about then? This morning we're going to be encouraged as we see victorious faith. You've made your way there. Hebrews 11, verse 32. We're going to read to the end this morning. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, chains, imprisonment, they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Today we conclude our series, The Power of Faith. Next week, as Katie mentioned in the announcement video, we're going to begin a new series that we're calling Christianity 101. I hope you'll come. Something else we're going to do next week is we're going to have a note burning. We're going to burn the note on this building after 13 years. Hallelujah! <laughs> So I hope you'll come. You know, you ought to come to church, right? Unless you are sick or you are out of town, you ought to come to church. That'd be a good place to amen, 
right? You should, because you know when you come to church, you might actually get stronger. You might act, you do. You will actually grow in your faith. And we're going to see that as we begin next week, Christianity 101. We're going to look at the basics of Christianity over the next eight weeks as we go through Hebrews 12 and Hebrews 13. And I, I hope you'll make plans to come and try not to miss because it builds on one another. But for today, we're going to talk about faith one last time. I must tell you, I'm a bit like the Apostle Paul, just as he's written here in verse 32, that uh, for sake of time, it's going to be hard to go through all these names. Did you catch all these names? Look at verse 32 again in your Bibles. He said, and what more shall I say? See it? For, for time, right? He said, it's going to fail me, and same for me. He said, I'm going to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets. That's all he does. He just lists their names. I feel the same way. <laughs> it's, it's hard. And I looked at this. I thought, how are we going to get through all these names? But as I was thinking about this, and I thought, well, why didn't he give more detail like he did the others? Like he gave detail about Noah, and he gave detail about Enoch, and Abraham, and jo Joseph, and so forth. Why, why does he not do it here? Well, I believe he knows that these people, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, they knew these names like the back of their hands. It's part of their history. It's part of their heritage. Paul has been trying to remind the people what God has desired all along. What does God desire? that we might have a relationship with Him. That's the whole essence of God walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. That is the deal. God desires to have a relationship with us. And I believe that's the point of the Hall of Faith. I believe that's the point of the entire book of Hebrews, to remind, to remind these people that no longer do they need this religion of Judaism, this thing of works where you got to bring a lamb to a priest in a temple. No, now the Lamb of God has come, and He has shed His blood, not the blood of goats and bulls, but the Lamb of God Himself, so that they might have freedom in knowing God and having a relationship with him. Yet there were some that were still on the cusp. Some of these that are in this audience of the Hebrews had still not made the decision to trust Jesus. How about you? You say, well, I'm a Christian. Are you living for him? Are you dedicated for him? Do you spend time in the Word of God? Do you spend time in prayer? How's your mouth? How's the stuff that you're watching? the friends you're running around with, the things that you're doing, you're saying you're being legalistic. No, I'm not. I'm just asking you, how goes it with your life? Is there, are you growing in your faith? Or, or are you still kind of, you're just kind of holding back? There, is, is there some area in your life that's, that's holding you back? You know what God says, give that up. I'm better than that. I'm better than that thing that you think that you need that's making you feel guilty right now. The guilt that's in your life for that thought life or that way, that pattern of thinking or that thing that you're doing, God says, I'm better than that. I offer you better than that. You can have that and have your guilt and have your condemnation. Or you can have me and you can have peace and freedom from that. I hope that you'll surrender. That was part of the audience there. Paul is going to finish this list. He's going to finish the walk down the hall of faith and we're going to see that today. And he quickens the pace. And he just gives these names. What did he do there in verse 32? He gave us the names of judges and kings and prophets. I mean, he's moved all the way. We saw last week Joshua, right? And we saw that's the sixth book in the Bible. And here we now all the way through all the prophets, major and minor prophets. So we're through the end of the Old Testament. Here in one fell swoop, boom, we're done with the Old Testament. 
And there's no way that we're going to have time to go through in detail all of these people. But I just want to give you a few highlights. First, there's Gideon. You know, we have some Gideons, I believe, in our midst. Gideons. You know Gideons. You know those are the guys that put the Bibles in the hotel rooms? Have you seen that pulled out a drawer in a hotel room and seen a Gideon Bible? Have you seen the Gideon Bible? Been in a hospital somewhere? Those are Gideons. And they take their name from Gideon. Who is Gideon? He was actually a doubter. You know, wait a minute. He, he, he had the guy with the 300 guys that, that took the water and, the, and they kept their eye on the enemy and he, he, he conquered an entire group of, of men, 350,000 men with 300 men. So he was a man of faith. But do you know what? He had to have a do-over with his faith deal. You remember that? He threw out that fleece. He threw out that, that lamb skin. He said, Lord, if you'll wet it and make the ground dry, he said, we'll, we'll be good to go. And the Lord did. And he goes, uh, can we do that again? Just make sure. Right? So, he, right, he's a bit of a doubter. Right? And, and isn't that what we've kind of seen along the way? You remember Rahab last week? She thought she had to lie to get God's will done. Remember those guys were coming looking for the two Israelite spies, and she had to lie, so she thought. God doesn't need her to lie. God could have made those two spies on her roof hidden in that flax invisible. It's not too hard for God. You and I don't have to help God by lying. You understand that? What I see again here are people that don't have perfect faith. Just like us. Is your faith perfect? Lord, I believe, but help my what? Unbelief. Aren't you glad Jesus said all we have to have is the faith of a grain of what? Mustard seed. You know how small that is? One of the smallest seeds on the earth. It's not perfect faith here, but it is faith. You ever heard of Barak? You go, I don't know who that guy is. He was a coward too. He wouldn't go fight. God told him to go fight, and he wouldn't go unless a lady went with him. Deborah, the prophetess. And she agreed and went with him, and they defeated Sisera's army. How about Samson? Paul mentioned Samson, that long-haired fella. Man, what a train wreck he was. Old Delilah, love running her fingers through his hair. Of course, Pam would know nothing about that in my case, but that's just the way it goes sometimes. Yeah, old Delilah, she tricked him, didn't she? Samson, what a mess he was. But in the end... He showed what? Faith. And he won the victory. Jephthah, you ever heard of him? Did you know that Jephthah, here in the Hall of Faith, he was a guy born out of wedlock. Did you know that? His family disowned him, and yet God used him to destroy the Ammonites. So what do we see? Over and over again, God using imperfect people and them gaining the victory. Them winning victory after victory. And this shows me that God can use anybody, and that includes you and me. Aren't you glad? I thought about David. David was mentioned in that list. You know, I, when I think of David, I always think about Goliath. You know, what an amazing feat that was, just a sling and a stone. But then David was slayed by the giant of lust. And then he committed murder to cover up his adultery with Bathsheba. Yet he's still in the hall of faith, isn't he? A man after God's own heart who failed so miserably, and yet he's still in the hall of faith. All these people we've been talking about for the last two and a half months, they all have their flaws, and yet through faith they conquered. See it again in verse 33. You got that in your Bibles, verse 33. Yet through faith they conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. 
Who does that make you think of? Who stopped the mouths of lions? Well, we know God did, but it was by the faith of whom? Who? Daniel, right? You remember Daniel? Can you imagine being a lion's den for an entire night? Hungry lions? By faith. Verse 34, they quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Who quenched the power of fire? You remember those three guys? I mean, God did it, but He did it by whose faith? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I believe in a pre-incarnate theophany, there was a fourth man that showed up in the furnace. Oh, God shows up in our fire. He shows up in our furnace. I really believe that was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. It was before His birth. We call it a pre-incarnate theophany. And there He was in our fire. What have we seen? We see in chapter 11 these quick descriptive bursts. That's all Paul is giving. And I know that those names had to fill the minds and hearts of the Hebrews with so many vivid memories of their heritage, heroes of the faith. Paul continues in verse 35, more rapid fire examples of faith. Verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Who, who, was, who was a woman that received back their dead? Well, I thought about Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. You remember her? Elijah gave back her son who died. You know, that was the same lady who was down to her last bit of oil. Remember? And Elijah said, make a little cake of bread for me, and she did. That's what we were talking about in the prayer a minute ago. I tell you, when it's, when it's down to where you don't have much left, that is, I'm telling you, we, we should give to the Lord, but I'm going to tell you, it's when we're down to the last, it's the widow's might, we see the power of God. She, by faith, did exactly what Elijah said, and she got even back her son from the dead. And so we come to the end of verse 35. 35 verses in Hebrews chapter 11, victories, every one of them. Victory after victory after victory after victory. Noah's deliverance in the flood all the way to the end of the prophets, to the end of the Old Testament, victorious faith. And that brings us to verse 36. And I'm telling you, church, the tone is getting ready to change. We're going to make a turn down the hallway, and it's going to get dark because it's going to get hard. This takes us back to the original question of the message. What about when we don't win the victory? What about when we do suffer? What about when it is hard? What about then? Look at verse 36. Now watch this. The tone has changed. Others suffered. Let that sink in. Others suffered. What? Mocking, flogging, chains, imprisonment, stoned, sawn in two, killed with the sword, running around in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, that means they were dirt poor, they had no money, they were afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not even worthy. They wandered around in deserts and mountains and dens and caves. Now I'm depressed. Aren't you? Is that depressing? That's how a lot of us live our lives. We're kind of like Eeyore. I've lost my tail. Right? We're just so sad all the time. 
you know, we're trying to live the Christian life. That's what we're going to talk about starting next week in Christianity 101 is that we can live this journey and enjoy the journey even when it's hard, even when the doctor's report isn't good, even when the bills are, are just mounting. We can still have joy in the journey, right? Surely, because of the goodness of God. He is faithful, right? Not for a moment will he forsake us. I've got victory in Jesus. Isn't that what we were singing today? Do you believe it? You see, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Hebrews, might I remind you, these are people who are living in the mid-60s A.D. And if you know your history, you know who's in control of the world. Rome. And who is the crazy tyrant that's on the throne? Starts with an N. Nero. You know the guy that married himself to a boy? Hey church, it's coming. As we live in this super sexualized generation where we don't know who we are and what we are and what's acceptable and not acceptable, who's to stop that? After all, who's to say what love is? A man loves a boy? Eh, let him marry him. You say, that's being ridiculous. No, I'm not being ridiculous. I'm telling you this is where it slides down that slippery slope when nothing is sexually immoral. Nothing. Yet God's word is clear. Nero, this tyrant, what was he doing to Christians? You remember what he was doing to Christians? What about the Christians that don't escape from the mouths of lions like Daniel? What about when they're fed to lions? What about the others? What about the children? What about those people? Not for a moment will you forsake. Did he forsake them? Does that blow your theology to smithereens? It does if you're part of the prosperity gospel. It does if you believe these people out there that tell you if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be perfect. Oh, and by the way, send them $20 and, and you, know, you know, put your hand on the television screen and then, then you'll really be blessed. What about that? These are the others. That word others in verse 36 in the Greek means those of another sort, those of another kind. We're no longer talking about people winning victories, hoisting trophies over their head. Listen, I'm all for when they win the Super Bowl and there's a Christian involved and they stick a microphone and he's holding the Lombardi trophy and he says, I thank God for Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. That's all great. But what about when we're in the lion's den and the lions take the life of the person? What about then? Is God still good? All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so. What's the word? Good? Are you serious? Yes. Church, this world is broken in sin. It happened in the Garden of Eden, and that's what happens. You have tyrants on thrones. You have nut jobs in El Paso outside of a Walmart. Do you understand what sin does? They talk all day long about guns, 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 guns. It's sin. 
It's what happens when people who don't know Christ are mentally deranged. People need Jesus. We have the antidote. His name is Christ. We live in a sin-sick world, folks. And bad things happen to good people because God is bad? No. Sometimes people will they'll say things like this, well, maybe they just didn't have enough faith, those people in the Roman Colosseum. Maybe if they'd have just had enough faith, they'd have been delivered. Let's just pick somebody. How about Peter? Maybe Peter, the apostle, just needed more faith. You remember how the early church fathers tell us he died? Remember how he died? Anybody remember? Oh, yeah, crucified how? Upside down, because he said he wasn't worthy to be crucified like his Savior. So maybe Peter just needed more faith. Maybe that's the problem. We just need more faith. I was reading a commentary this week where a pastor was visiting a sick church member in the hospital, and the pastor picked up a book on the table beside of the bed where the sick lady lay, and she said, Pastor, um, this is a true story, by the way. She said, uh, open it up and read the first page right there at the top. And he did, and this is what it said, quote, read this book and it will give you faith to be healed. The lady happened to be a wonderfully dedicated Christian, and she was dealing with stage four cancer. How bad is that? Bad. She told the pastor, I've prayed to be healed, but it's not happening. The lady died a week later. So did she not have enough faith? Listen carefully. Are you listening? God does not have to heal in order to prove that someone has faith. Did you hear that? God does not have to heal to prove that someone has faith. Not everyone is healed. The lady in the hospital was part, I believe, of the others of verse 36. The unknown men and women of faith who were not delivered from difficult circumstances, but were delivered through them. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It's a valley and it's a shadow, and sometimes we don't get through it in this life. Sometimes we wake up in glory like those fed to the lions in the Colosseum. Oh, there are Daniels who were delivered from the lion's den, and there's others who were delivered, listen, through the trial into glory. Not everyone is healed. Church, I'll tell you this, it takes more faith to endure than it does to escape suffering. Did you hear that? I believe it takes more faith to endure suffering than to escape suffering. Not everyone escapes. I prayed for my grandfather. I speak of him often, my dad's dad. As a 17-year-old young man, I prayed with everything I had when we discovered he had been diagnosed with colon cancer, July of 1985. I prayed with everything I had. And in four months, he was dead. October 1985, we buried him right there on that hill. And my world came crashing down. 
Say, why do you talk about him so much? Listen to me. My dad, I love with all my heart, but he worked at Lowe's, okay? Lowe's was in this growth mode back in the 70s and 80s when I was a kid. My dad was gone all the time. They were opening stores everywhere. So listen to me. And this, this is no dishonor to my father, but I swear it would almost have been easier if as a 17-year-old my dad had died versus my granddad because my granddad did everything with me. We lived right beside of my grandparents, and there was seldom a night that I did not run up this little gravel road to Grandma and Grandpa's house, and I sat in a little side room with my grandpa on a little footstool, and he ate peanuts. You know, like the, uh, uh, the, the peanuts you get at a baseball game, you got to crack them open and, you know, peel all, all, off the husk there. And Every time I see peanuts like that, I think of him. Just even the taste. I can't tell you how many peanuts I ate as a boy. But he died! He died! And people just kept telling me, have faith, Kevin, have faith, Kevin. And the, the prayer offered in faith will bring healing to him. And as a 17-year-old, that rocked my world. It rocked my theology. It rocked my worldview. About six months went by from October of 1985 to the end of March 1986. I was in my senior year at West Wilkes High School, and I played on the tennis team in the spring. I drove home from tennis practice one afternoon, and as I came up my driveway, <laughs> it hit me. That little gravel road, I wanted so bad to run up that road and see Papa. And it just, I had bottled it up. I had bottled it up for six months. And I got out of my car, I parked it underneath my basketball goal, and I ran out into the woods and I started shouting. You would have thought I was crazy. I was shouting, why? Why? I was so mad. I picked up a stick and I beat the bark off of a tree. I went back to practice the next day, tennis practice. My coach said, what is wrong with your hands? You have destroyed your hands. I cried till I had nothing left, and I sat down at the base of that tree. And at that moment, I, had, I was spent, and I felt the presence of God like I had never felt before in my 17 years, and God said to me, Kevin, I know what I'm doing. My ways aren't your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. Trust me. Trust me. And the presence of God swept my body. Philippians 4, 6, the peace of God that passes all understanding. Three months early, earlier in December of 1985, on the West Wilkes basketball team, we were playing in the Christmas tournament against Wilkes Central in championship at the YMCA. We won. That didn't happen back then. West High didn't beat Wilkes Central in nothing. And we won. And they handed us the trophy. And in the yearbook, there's my hand, along with all the other players reaching up that trophy, and my hand's on that trophy. Biggest smile you've ever seen. Now I want to ask you something. Where do you think I experienced the presence of God more? Hoisting a trophy in December of 1985 or sitting at the base of a tree that I've beaten the bark off of in March of 1986? You tell me. At the base of that tree. 
because God matches with his grace and mercy our pain in the suffering he gives us his presence. And is there anything better in this life? You tell me. Those watching, you tell me. Is there anything better for the Christian? Christian understands this. There's nothing better in this life than the presence of God, even at the base of a tree, when your hands are bleeding and you have nothing else and your papa's gone and you experience the presence of God. And you know you can go on. That's a power that no one can possibly understand except the believer in Jesus Christ. Not everyone is healed. So I can sing that new song that Pastor Brad taught us. All my life you have been faithful, even as a 17-year-old. All my life you have been so, so, what? good. The world doesn't understand that, but the Christian does. You see, I realized and I came to the place, as many of you have, who've endured much worse than I have, we come to the place that we realize that God's plans and His ways are not our ways, and sometimes God will do things that will bring glory, like in the case of my grandfather, I came to the conclusion it had to bring God more glory to take my grandfather than to leave him here. And so I surrendered him, and I let him go. Because you know what? I'll see him again. But I still miss him. And you still miss your loved one. But even right now, the grace of God is matching the pain. You feel that? I hugged my dad after the first service. I said, Pop, I still miss him. He said, Me too. The Christian knows God has a bigger plan. I want to show this to you by way of Jesus. Would you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 16? John chapter 16. John 16. Actually, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that Pastor Dale uh, mentioned in, in the uh, James uh, message Wednesday night. We are here on Wednesday night, by the way. Right? Yeah, 630. Okay, be there, be square, right? I, I encourage you. You say, I'm not a Wednesday night person. Why not? Okay, if you're working, I get it. I know you're going to be tired. I'm tired too. Let's just all stay at home. You want to? I'll just, let's go home, right? No. I just want to encourage you. We're in the book of James. We've started a study in James, practical Christianity. And Wednesday night, we're going to talk about wisdom, making good decisions. I hope you'll come. I hope you'll come. 6.30, we have a meal at 5.15. You can sign up for it on the app online. John chapter 16, before we get there, I just want to tell you that as I prepared this message, I, I, was, I felt like I'm like, Lord, I think we, we as Christians today, we, we live in such a prosperity gospel kind of 
fish bowl, you know, does a fish know he's wet? That we somehow think because we're Christians everything should always work out, that we always hoist a trophy. I mean, and we have this idea we don't mean to, but it's like, you know, we, we quote Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we get in the batter's box, right? Get in the batter's box and we go, you know, you don't practice except you just barely practice at practice. You don't do any extra swing. You don't do, you know, okay. And say, so I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know what's going to happen likely? You're going to strike out, okay? That's not God's fault. That's your fault because you're a lazy slouch, okay? Let's just be honest, okay? Okay? You hadn't studied for a test. Bless God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know what's probably going to happen? You're going to fail. That's not God's fault. That's your fault. Okay? Because you didn't study. Okay? Okay? Hey, I like Jeremiah 29 11, just like the best of them. You know Jeremiah 29 11. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in a future. Right? Think of the people in the Roman Colosseum. Does that always work? Some would look at that and say, that's harm. It's not harm. It's called a sin-sick world. It's called, this is what happens, like in El Paso, Texas. This is what happens. There's evil in the world, and until Jesus comes back and reverses the curse and makes everything right, this is the kind of stuff's going to happen, even to Christians. It rains on the just and the unjust. But in our theology, if we've got this idea that God's going to always bless, and then Grandpa dies at 17, it wasn't until March almost six months later, that I realized that it don't always work out the way you want it to. And will you still trust God? This brings us to John 16. Jesus is getting ready to die. He's in the upper room. They're having the last supper. And he's having this last meal with his guys. Now watch what he says here. John chapter 16, verse 20. The Bible says, truly, truly, that's the old King James, verily, verily. You know what that means? It's like my mama saying my name twice. Listen up, Kevin, Kevin. You ready? Truly, truly, Jesus said, I say to you, you will weep and lament. Really? Yes, in this life. But the world's going to rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into what? Joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Watch verse 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will what? Rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. I like that. At the base of that tree. When I was, at that time in March, I had turned 18, my senior year. In the midst of that awful anguish, I can't describe it to you, I still had joy. Joy for knowing that I will see my grandpa again. It's just going to be a little while, and I'm going to tell you, the older I get, the faster I see life moving, it won't be long. I'm 51 years old now, and I swear... It sank literally like it was two weeks ago when I was 18. Can I get a witness from some of the older ones in the room? I mean, is it not the truth? And you try to tell somebody, a young person that, and they go, yeah, right. And then all of a sudden you look in the mirror and you're old. And you go, wow, that was fast. <laughs> Do you know what I've learned? And the Christian understands this. The greatest joy in this life is being in the presence of God. It's better than money. It's better than wealth and success. 
it's better than anything. Being in the presence of God, or is it? Have you allowed yourself to be convinced by that truth? Or are you still seeking money and possessions to make you happy, to bring you joy? I mean, look at Hollywood. I mean, Hollywood. I mean, look at all their deal. Do you think they're happy? So many of those folks, they've got everything. They've got the nicest cars, nicest clothes, fly around in their private jets, and they're miserable. So many people think that the stuff of this world is going to make you happy. You know what the greatest prosperity on this earth is? The greatest prosperity is when you and I are in the presence of God. And sometimes that's at the base of a tree with bleeding hands and a swollen face from crying out to God. That's when we're part of the others of verse 36. You know, and David understood this. And you know, you know, church, I just want to say this to you. L look around the room. Are there open spots in the purple chairs? Yes. Did you know that there are people that are waiting to come here based on your invitation? You just need to invite them. Did you know that? If you invite them, you know what your, the percentage likelihood chance that they'll come is? You won't believe this. 50%. That's pretty good if you ask me. They're actually just waiting for someone to invite them. Listen, you are a minister. You are an ambassador for Christ. You have a ministry. It's your home. It's your place of work. It's where you buy groceries. It's the ball field, the dance studios. That's your place of ministry. And so somebody's going through a hard time. And so, so we'll text them, okay? You're in my thoughts and prayers. Bing. Nothing wrong with that. Hey, 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 you listening? Add a verse. Add a Bible. You say, I don't know any verses. Shame on you. Okay. Listen, you want me to tell you where to go to get some good verses? Psalms. Go to the Psalms. Somebody's struggling with fear. They're afraid. You tell them, you're in my thoughts and prayers. And then you do this. You quote Psalm 34.4. You literally type it out. Now, you can type out Psalm 34.4, but that makes you lazy, okay? So actually, go to the Bible app, copy and paste, stick it in the text. You say, that takes an extra 20 seconds. I don't have it. Exactly. You got to make time. And so you quote Psalm 34 4. You know what it says? I sought the Lord and he delivered me from all of my fears. And then you text that. And I guarantee you might not get a text back from the other one, but you'll get a text back on that one. Thank you. I needed that. Why? Because the power of God's word is supernatural. See, you're a minister. Think about texting verses, emailing verses. They might not come to church, they might not know Christ. Invite them. We got room. We're we, we going to burn that note next week. We paid this thing off. We got room. Let me give you a couple more Psalms. This goes, this David, David understood it. That's why I encourage you to read the Psalms in times of trial. Take a look at what David knew. Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. He's talking to God. In your presence there is fullness of what? Joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore that's in his presence. How about this one? Psalm 21, 6. For you make him most blessed. Who is most blessed forever? You make him glad. How? With the joy of your presence. I'll say it again, church. The greatest joy that can ever be known in this life is being in the presence of God. Even if that means it's at the base of a tree with bleeding hands and a broken heart. The presence of God. A few weeks ago, I was introduced to this book. It's a fantastic book. The title of it is, Therefore I Have Hope. 
It's by a pastor, a gentleman named Cameron Cole. He is a pastor in Birmingham, Alabama. The little boy he was holding there is his namesake, or was, Cameron, whom they called Cam. Now notice I'm saying in the past tense. All was well in their family until one morning, Lauren, the mama, couldn't wake up Cam, as they called him. He was three years old and seemed to be in perfect health, and yet he died in his sleep. They performed an autopsy. They did genetic testing and have yet to come up with any specific cause of death. The book is powerful. It chronicles the Coles' journey in dealing with their devastating tragedy. And as I read the book, I mean, they went the gamut. It was gut-churning. From peace to anger to being overwhelmed to being paralyzed to even walk into Cam's room to go to the place where he ate ice cream to even avoid the road that they would drive to the park. Many well-meaning people, as Mr. Cole chronicled in the book, friends, church members, they tried to cheer him up, he said, with all kinds of trite sayings. One person said, my God didn't have anything to do with this. He would never allow something like this to happen. My God, what is that? My God, what, what is it? You keep him in a bottle or something? That's what he asked. We try to make God who he isn't. Cole said this, the dad, he said, the idea that God didn't have anything to do with Cam's death actually terrified me. He said this, that would have destroyed my entire worldview because I would have falsely believed that God is holding all things together and everything is moving toward a sovereign appointed end. But if God wasn't in control of my son's death, then he's not in control of anything. The dad went on to say, quote, one reason I've been able to accept all of this is because God had to give up his son too. He said, therefore, he knows exactly how I feel. He understands my experience because that was his experience. And this phrase just jumped out at me. He said, God is a suffering God. Think of that. God is a suffering God. God. God doesn't have to suffer because He's God, but He does. Mr. Cole went on to say, He understands us. He feels with us. Therefore, your feelings are safe with Him. Just like mine that March afternoon in 1986, hollering at God, and he ministered to my heart. There's two paragraphs I wanted you to see and hear, and I want to put them on the strings because I think it'll help seal it in your heart and mind. This blessed my heart. See if it does for you. Cameron Cole said this in his book, If God had nothing to do with my son's death, then certain pockets of life, the really awful ones in particular, are given over to chaos because the God of the universe is removed from them. In my case, or in the case of my worst, and notice how he capitalized the W in worst. 
as the praise team was singing, they were singing, not for a moment, not for a moment. And there was that line in that song, at my worst, when my world falls apart. Remember that line in the song? The praise team does. The choir does. Mr. Cole said, in the case of my worst and in the case of yours, if God is not involved, then it has no purpose. My receiving the traumatic phone call, my holding Cam's corpse, my attending his funeral, my carrying his casket, and my weeping and weeping and weeping would all be meaningless because God had nothing to do with it. But that is a lie. According to the Bible, God is sovereign. He was in control before, during, and after my worst, and He is in control throughout yours. Consequently, your worst has meaning. Your worst has purpose. He concludes by saying, for me, I find hope in trusting that my son died because God determined before the foundation of the earth that Cam would live three years and 55 days. My son died for a reason. He died that people may see the beauty and majesty of Jesus Christ and that God may fully redeem and perfect the broken world. Cam's death is neither random nor meaningless. I may not necessarily see a fraction of the ways God accomplishes this, but His Word promises me that it is true. Let me tell you the truth. Your worst is not random or meaningless. End of quote. Folks, Cameron and Lauren Cole are part of the others of verse 36. We don't always hoist the trophy here. For some, it's there. They didn't get to keep their son. Abraham got his back on Moriah. God didn't get his until he was crucified, died on the cross, but what happened? He rose again, and that is our hope. Church, I'll tell you, experiencing the presence of Jesus matches our suffering. His presence matches and exceeds our suffering. Here is the Cole family today, the precious family. You'll notice they've added another little boy and another little girl, and you won't believe this. After Cam's death, three months later, Lauren found out she was pregnant. They weren't even trying. Do you know when their next little boy was born? One year to the day that Cam died. Same day he died, one year later, their new son was born. You tell me God's not in control. You can't make this stuff up. As I finish reading the book, here's the thing that jumps off the page. The dad said this, and I, I just want you to listen to me read it now. It's just a couple of sentences. He said this, we're connected to Cam through Christ because it's like Cam is on one side of a giant oak tree, hugging the oak tree. And I'm on the other side of the oak tree, hugging the oak tree. He can't see me, and I can't see him. I can't hear him, and he can't hear me. But we're both hugging the same oak tree, and that oak tree is Jesus Christ. And one day, I will see my son again in the presence of Jesus. But until then, I hug the tree. And I'm hugging the tree for my papa. 
Because one day, my faith will be sight. And I'll hug Papa again. And I'll hug Jesus. Most importantly, Jesus. Verse 39 says, And all these, everybody in the chapter, the ones who were victorious and got their dead back to those who were fed to the lions, though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised. Why? They're Old Testaments. Old Testament saints, right? They're Old Testament saints. That what was promised the Messiah. But, verse 40, God had provided something better. What was that? Jesus, God, the suffering God, gave His only Son that apart from us they should not be made perfect. We're made perfect. The Old Testament saints and New Testament saints in Christ. But until then, what do we do, church? How do we live? Hugging the oak tree. How? By faith. By faith. Would you pray with me? Father, in the quietness of this moment as we bow our heads, Father, I pray for those in the room that are still on the, the edge, they're on the cusp, they're, they've not chosen to follow Jesus. Father, I pray that your spirit might just quicken their hearts and they might choose to hug the tree. Hug Jesus. Because he didn't die on an oak tree. He died on an old rugged cross on Calvary so that we might have life and so that we might be resurrected from our death and be with you. Lord, I pray for those here today who are struggling, who are hurting. I pray, Father, that you would bring a sense of peace in your presence in the suffering heart. Lord, that we're part of the others from time to time in life. Yeah, sometimes we hoist a trophy and they may stick a microphone in our face and we can give glory to Jesus. And other times in the middle of the dark night, and it's dark, and we cry with tears burning our cheeks, and we still win the victory. We're part of the others, those of another sort. Lord, if there are those here today and they don't know Jesus, I pray they would take time to come to that back guest information room. I'll be there. Matthew's there. Debbie's there. We're there to help people take the time to understand what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe there are those here today that's going through a trial, a hard time. Maybe they need prayer. We're there for that too. Lord, help us now as we get ready to leave. We have people in our lives that need to hear this. Not necessarily this message. That's fine. We can tell them download the app and listen to the message. But Lord, most importantly, we have Jesus. Those that know you, Father, help us, Lord, to be ready to send that text message with your word and to invite them. There's a 50% chance they'll come if they're not involved in church. We don't want to take people from their church home, but if they're not involved in a church, we want to have people come and to be able to be encouraged and strengthened. Most importantly, to be saved from their sin and go to heaven. Lord, I pray you'll use us as a people. And God, that you'll help us. Lord, until we see you, hug the tree and have faith. Live by faith until we see you again. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com slash mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.